0: After looking at you, I think I'll turn you back to him, if you don't mind. (laughs) In fact, uh, I'm going to come down here where I can get a hold of you if I need to. Uh, Thrilled to be with you, and we're anxious to get into the Word together, so I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, if you would. The last time we were here, which was 2008, we were uh, dealing in in, uh, chapter 2 during that time, and uh, we want to go back there. So you see, I haven't made much progress in those four years a little slow, but uh, I'm working on it. Uh, so uh, today, uh, or next Sunday rather, is uh, Mother's Day, as you know. And then uh, two Sundays after that is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, Pentecost Sunday is uh, not too big of a deal in the church, I'm afraid. I remember a few years ago, uh, we had uh, Pentecost Sunday and Mother's Day fell on the same Sunday. And uh, I don't ever remember that ever happen, happening. I uh, did a little research to find out if it had ever happened or if it was ever going to happen again, and I couldn't find it had ever done it. But uh, Pentecost Sunday and Mother's Day fell on the same Sunday. So uh, I went to church that Sunday morning, and uh, I wondered, uh, thought to myself, who will get the most attention? Will it be mothers or the Holy Spirit? And, of course, mothers won out. Uh, And it isn't that we love mothers more than the Holy Spirit. It's just, well, it's the money thing. Yeah, it's the money thing. Come on. You know, Mother's Day, take, all the kids come in, take the mother out, and the flowers, all this stuff. You know, it's a big money thing. See, Christmas, we have Santa Claus. It's a money thing. Easter, we have Easter egg hunts and Easter bunnies and chocolate Easter bunnies. It's a money thing. See, Pentecost, we don't have anything but God. <laughs> That's a downer, isn't it? <laughs> Nothing but God. And it gets buried on us. So I thought it would be neat this week to look at Pentecost and the event of Pentecost is given to us in chapter 2 uh, verse 1 down through verse 4 which is the verses which are the verses we're going to read. Then tonight uh, we're going to deal with that this morning. And then tonight, we're going to look at verse 25, 26, 27, and 28 of Acts chapter 2. So I'd like for you to saturate a little bit in that passage, if you would. Read it for yourself. It's a messianic psalm that's being given to us, uh, written by David in verse 25, he says. And it goes clear down again through verse 28. So we're going to spend uh, uh, each night, Monday, uh, Mon- uh, Sunday night through Wednesday night, in that passage. So uh, you can study it to be sure. I'm uh, telling you the truth truth, or if you find out something I don't know, please tell me, and then I'll preach it across the country, and people will think I'm great. So uh, I invite you to do that. So that'll be tonight, so I'm anxious for you to be here, and we'll get into that passage together. But for this morning, to introduce all of that, we want to look at chapter 2, verse 1, down through uh, verse 4, which is a description of the Pentecost event. Now, Luke is writing, of course, and uh, he has uh, all kinds of words to choose from, all kinds of words, as you can imagine, and deep words. The Greek language is phenomenal. And as he was choosing words uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, no question about that, it's significant that he could take the entire Pentecost event, wrap it up in four verses and hand it to us, and the depth that's in these four verses. Oh, anxious to get into it with you. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now, you'll note in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that he's pinpointing, what he's doing is, he's pinpointing the exact day, the time, when the Holy Spirit came upon us. The new covenant has been introduced. See, all this time, the Holy Spirit, all this time, we've been in an old covenant. God's over there. I'm over here. He's telling me what to do. I've got to do it. Now, at this event, we're moving into a brand new era. It's called the new covenant. And the new covenant is produced of, course by his death resurrection ascension and now the outpouring of the spirit and the new covenant is going to be god's not over there anymore oh he's in here (laughs) isn't that phenomenal that alone is just wow see all this time god's been over there telling me what to do and i'm trying to do it and i haven't been able to do it and i work hard and it's really tough and i'm just oh it's awful now god has come to be in here and he's going to energize source resource cause produce do something in me that i've never been able to do before i'm not on my own anymore yes he's not over there watching me with his binoculars shaking his finger i'll get you now he's come to be in here to enable i'm not alone that's pentecost isn't that phenomenal so he says, I want you to know when this took place. When this took place was on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish holiday, feast day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish holiday, which ties the whole thing into an old covenant. In other words, this isn't a whim. God didn't just decide to do this. He didn't just get up one morning and and, and it kind of came over him. He's been planning on this all the time. Now, as you go to verse 2 and 3... He begins to describe the content. By the way, there's an outline in all of this. Uh, chapter 1 is the, uh, is the context of the Pentecost event. Chap- uh, chapter 2, verse 1 is the, is the context of the uh, Pentecost event. Chapter uh, 2, verse 2 and 3 is the content of the event. And, ch- and uh, chapter 2, verse 4 is the consequence. Chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 now give you the content of the event. Now, he uses Old Testament imagery, which is really beautiful. Remember, he's writing to people of the Old Testament who've experienced, know all about, have studied Jews who have been involved in the Old Testament structure. So, he's giving them, he wants to describe what it's like to actually have God come and move within you. How would you describe that? He's picking up imagery, language that they would know. You'll note in verse 2, he uses the imagery of mighty wind a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now, there was no wind. It's imagery. You look mad. (laughs) I'm sorry. There's no wind. There was no wind. See, uh, hey, there was the sound of all of that without any of the effects. See, the shingles didn't come off the roof. Hey, my hairpiece didn't blow off. There's no wind. Just no wind. It was the sound of all of that he's talking about. And there's great imagery in that. Then he moves to verse 3, which is where we want to land. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. Now, the imagery here is fire. Now, that's not new to you, because all through the Old Testament, God is pictured as fire. Uh, Pastor referred to the burning bush. The burning bush. Fire. See, fire on the altar. Obviously, God. Pillar of fire leading the children of Israel by night. Obviously, the presence of God. So, the fire thing is resemblance of God himself. It's imagery. So, he's talking about the very essence of the presence of God has moved into the room. Now, I know you do what I do in Bible study. Uh, You try to find out what the subject is and what the verb is. (laughs) Sure you do. Okay. So, if you look at verse 3, you'll note in verse 3 that the subject is one... And the verb is sat one sat subject verb now everything else revolves around that one sat one sat upon each of them so the verb action the key verb action of this imagery of the fire is the idea of sitting now again Luke had all kinds of uh, words he could use to uh, express this sitting idea So he's expressing, get this, he's expressing the idea of God coming to live within you, and he's describing it in the imagery of sitting. It's interesting, very interesting. Now, again, Luke had several words he could have chosen from to uh, have the sitting idea. For instance, there's a Greek word that means you come into the sanctuary, you walk down the aisle, you pop yourself in the pew, and there you sit the ordinary word for sit didn't use that word he could have used the word uh that has the idea of abiding like the vine and the branch abiding kind of concept hovering abiding uh resting that kind of lounging that kind of an idea uh, remaining that kind of an idea but that's not the word he chose this is an unusual word this word that he uses right here the greek word that's translated sat is used 46 times in the new testament This is awesome. 46 times in the New Testament. Now, there's some argument about one or two, but not in my mind, but in some people's minds. But I want to propose to you that the emphasis of the word, all 46 times it's used, is always gives you this one imagery. And the imagery is this. A person of great authority coming to sit in a place of great authority. I want to propose to you that all 46 times, again, there's a couple arguments on, there's argument on a couple of them, but the emphasis is on a person of great authority coming to sit in a place of great authority. That's the usage of the word. I want to show you, I want to back that up with some proof to you, so you just don't take my word for it. For instance, stay right in the book of Acts, go to chapter 25 if you would. That will be easy for you to find. Chapter 25, verse 6. Paul is out on his missionary trips, and these Jews have been following him around, pestering and causing trouble, and trying to get him uh, uh, in before the courts. In fact, in chapter 25, there is a king by the name of Festus, and this king is going to uh, interview, oversee, interrogate the apostle Paul. And if you uh, will go down to, uh, in chapter 25, if you will go down to verse 6, uh, you'll read these words. And when he had, Festus, had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting, there's our word, on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought to him. This is a king sitting, ah, person of great authority, sitting in a place of great authority. That's the word. There's the image of a king. Let me give you another one since that excited you. Go to chapter 12. In chapter 12 of the book of Acts, you see the same identical uh, picture, and that is chapter 12. Go down to verse 21. In chapter 12, verse 21, Jews again are after Paul in these missionary trips. It's Herod the king this time, and here's what it says in chapter 20, uh, chapter 12, verse 21. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat. There it is, our word on his throne. And gave an orientation to them. So again, it's the picture of a king. He's a person of great authority who's sitting in a place of great authority. Now that's two out of the 46. We only got 44 more to go. <laughs> and we won't do all 44, but when I see on your face that you've comprehended what this word means, then we'll move on. Please hurry. Oh, I wanna tell you this before we move on. I've also discovered that this word, and this is more phenomenal than anything I've told you up to this point, this same word, person of great authority, sitting in a place of great authority, this word, wait for it, is the only word used in the New Testament, exclusively, no arguments, for Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Yes, isn't that phenomenal? When the writers of the New Testament want to describe a person of great authority, Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the, th- of the Father and in, in King of kings and Lord of lords, in majesty and power, this is the word that's used. Oh, let me give you some examples of that. For instance, stay right in chapter 2 of Acts. Go down to verse 30. As you move down to verse 30, Peter is preaching, and he says this. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. There's our word. Christ to sit on his throne. Person of great authority, Jesus, sitting on the throne of David as king of kings and lord of lords. That's our word. Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Phenomenal. For instance, you find this same thing in the book of Matthew, chapter 19. It's in verse 28. Rich young ruler has come. He's gone off sorrowful for he had great wealth and wouldn't give it up. And uh, the disciples came to Jesus, said, we've left all to follow you. What are we going to get? And if you look in chapter 19, if you go down to verse 28, here was Jesus' answer. He turned to the disciples and said in verse 28, assuredly, I say to you, That in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory. That's our word. Jesus sitting on the throne of his glory. This is the word. This is the word. Person of great authority. Sitting in a place of great authority. There it is again. Jesus. Oh, the book of Ephesians. Oh, Ephesians is just loaded with this. For instance, he talks about the heavenly realms. What's going on out there with the worlds you cannot see? And as he talks about the heavenly realms, go to chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. Look at verse 20. He talks about the great power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And here's what he says about it. It's the power of God, he said in verse 20, which worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him. That's our word. Seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. (gasps) Same word. Same word. Person of great authority coming to see... Oh, you got to see the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is just loaded with these things. Oh, man, how many have we done now? Are you looking all right? Uh, Hebrews, we'll go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews, of course, is all about what? Jesus is superior to everything. Chapter 1, he's superior to angels. As he introduces this subject, look at verse 3. He describes Jesus. He says, Jesus being the brightness of his glory... And the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself burst our sins, sat down. (laughs) That's our word. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, turn to page, uh, turn to chapter 8. As you get into chapter 8, he comes and says, now this, verse 1, now this is the main point. I've harassed you for seven chapters, he says. I've gone after you for seven chapters, and you're saying, well, what are you trying to tell us? This is the main point. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Here it is. This is the main thing I've been trying to say to you. We have such a high priest who is seated, that's our word, at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavenlies. Oh, just turn a page, turn a page Go to chapter 10 He's again describing Jesus And in chapter 10, verse 12 Chapter 10, verse 12 Oh, he thunders forth with this great statement But this man, Jesus After he had offered one sacrifice For the sin forever Sat down at the right hand of God Woo! That's our word Person of great authority Sitting at the right hand Sitting in a place of great authority Now, said two things. This word is used 46 times in the New Testament, describes a person of great authority sitting in, a, in the position of great authority. This is the word that's exclusively used for Jesus sitting at the right hand of God in the ascension. Now, come back to Acts chapter 2. Is it not? Come on, you're, you're reasonable people. You're intelligent. Is it not significant, folks, That when he came to describe when luke came to describe the holy spirit the spirit of jesus the new covenant god coming to enter into the flesh of man what we call being christian when he comes to describe what a christian is in the new covenant he picks out the sitting word that describes jesus sitting at the right hand of the father pardon me while I have a fit yes isn't that phenomenal what an amazing cut co- it's radical folks he said get this he says here's the concept he says as Jesus the physically raised from the dead Jesus ascended to the right hand of the father and sat at the right hand of the father and a coronation ceremony went on he is enthroned On the throne of the kingdom, when that happened, at that very same moment, you know what took place? The spirit of that Jesus, who's enthroned at the right hand of the Father, descended to the earthlies, and sat enthroned in the believer. Whoa. Get it. Get it. The physically raised from the dead Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, and trumpets are blowing, angels are gathering around, a crown is brought in, and lo and behold, he's crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. At that very moment, that very moment, the spirit of that Jesus descended to the earthlies and literally sat on the believer. Trumpets are blowing, a crown is brought, and he is enthroned, crowned king over the kingdom that is within you. get it physically raised from the dead jesus ascends to the right hand of the father and sits on the throne of the kingdom and a coronation ceremony goes on and angels bow and everyone praises at that very moment the spirit of that jesus descends to the earthlies and sits on the believer and what's going on up there is going on down here oh. That's not too far-fetched, folks. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in... Phenomenal. The picture of what it's like to be a Christian to enter into the new covenant, to actually have God indwelling you. Oh, he's sitting on me. Now, you say, well, preacher, that's a, hey, that's nice concept, a good theology. But uh, let's get practical. Okay, let's get down and dirty. Look at verse 3. Then there appeared to them divided tongues, now, the old King James Version that I grew up on said cloven tongues, which I was thought something that a cow ate, but evidently not. The idea of the word is separating, dividing, separating. Now, I don't know how you want to picture this in your mind. Don't care uh, how you picture it. How, whatever imagery you want to use, whatever satisfies you, it's okay with me. But into this room came one object. That's the imagery of the passing. In this room, into this room where there were 120 disciples, one object came in. Here it came. And as it came in, the, that one object began to divide up into, obviously, 120 pieces. And one of them went over and sat on each of them, the 120. now the significance of that is in verse 2 it filled the whole house which is a corporate filling i'm for a corporate filling oh god come and fill this house let all of us be engulfed with the presence of the spirit of jesus i'm for that but see sometimes that doesn't happen in fact i've been waiting on a service to take place which would equal this one in a corporate filling I'd like to be in a service where god just came and whoa and the service just went on and on and on you probably think it does anyhow but went on and on and on and on but i've never been into a service that i thought was equal to this one right here so i'm hanging around saying when is it going to happen hope it happens before i die maybe it'll happen this sunday just always waiting why isn't it happening well you know how that goes well it didn't happen because we didn't pray enough well how much is enough (gasps) we missed it by a half hour oh I doubt it. Well, why isn't it happening? Well, we got hypocrites in the church. Who's the hypocrite? Well, you are. It couldn't be me. So it must be you. I run you off. Well, good. Now we're going to have a corporate filling, but it still doesn't happen. Must be you. Oh, get rid of you. Must be you. Get rid of you. Must be you. Get rid. Well, must be my wife because we're just down to her, me and her. Get rid of her. It still doesn't happen. This is awful. So I've come to this conclusion. I'm moving out of verse 2 into verse 3. It's the personal filling. See, there wasn't just a corporate filling of a group there was an individual filling and whatever you do whoa i can be filled you can go out and operate on your own help yourself you can be hey go do your own thing man it's okay i'm not going to criticize you go do your own thing but i don't have to whoa i can be filled god could actually come and live inside of me and in intimacy i can know Personal feeling Now I don't know how you picture In your mind Jesus sitting At the right hand of the father But here's God the father You can't see him He's spirit Bible's clear on that You can't see him Here's Jesus sitting And he's physical Yeah He's physical. What do you mean he's physical? Well, what you've taught me all this time is, uh, and if you didn't teach me this, please correct me so I won't spread this around. Uh, But what you've taught me, I thought, was uh, that Jesus is physically raised from the dead. Physically raised from the dead. At first I said, ah, you don't mean that. You mean uh, he lives because he lives in our memories. We'll just keep singing about him and talking about him, and that'll keep him alive. You said, no. If we never sing another song about Jesus, if we never think about him ever again, it doesn't make any difference because that doesn't physically keep him. Jesus physically, physically, physically raised from the dead. In fact, they physically saw him with physical eyes. In fact, he physically ate hot dogs. Or was it fish? Anyhow, he physically ate. He physically ate. So he had a digestive system. Well, he passed through the walls. I know. Sat down at the table and ate. I know. How can you do that? Oh, you've watched Star Trek. You can figure that out. So here's Jesus, the physical Jesus, who has ascended to the right hand of the Father. You taught me physical. So I said, okay, I'm buying into that. In fact, you went on to say that not only was was he physically raised from the dead, but he physically ascended. That there were 12 or 11 disciples hanging around, maybe more, but hanging around watching him. And with their physical eyes, they watched while Jesus, whoo, and disappeared behind a physical cloud. And that he physically ascended from their eyesight. That's what you taught me. So you taught me he was physically raised from the dead. He physically ascended. In fact, you even went so far to tell me that Jesus was physically going to come the second time. That's a lot of physical. So, folks, I propose to you, if he physically raised from the dead, physically ascended, and physically is coming back, he must be physical now. So, here he is with this throne, and he's physically sitting on this throne at the right hand of the Father. However you want to picture that, it's fine. Physically sitting on this throne. Now, here's the concept. I want you to get this. This is not hard. We understand that when he's physically sitting on this throne, he's Lord over all, which includes the throne. I mean, Jesus could stand up and say, You know, that throne is too short, uh, block it up, or it's too tall, cut the legs off. It's his throne. He could say, I don't like, not enough cushions, more cushions, please. I mean, he could have more cushions on his throne if he wants it, because it's his throne. He is Lord over the throne. We understand that. So when he comes and sits on me, and I'm his throne, I understand the concept that he's Lord over me. But folks, that's not the concept given here. We understand that, but that's not the concept. See, when you say that he's sitting on his throne, the emphasis is not he's lord over the throne. The emphasis is the throne becomes the platform from which he ushers forth his authority, and he reigns. From the throne. Now we know he's Lord over the throne, that's in the background, but the concept is that he reigns from the throne and exerts his authority into the kingdom from this throne. It's the platform from which his authority begins to move. Did you get that? There's gonna be a test after the service, by the way. That's the concept. Now, if what's going on up there, this is the imagery if what's going on up there is going on down here and he's sitting on me and I become his throne he is Lord over me but wait a minute I have become the platform from which Jesus is going to exert his authority into my world now if he's just Lord over me then he's my boss brother I gotta do what he tells me to do well he'll smash me if I don't he's bigger than I am okay I'll do what he tells me to do that, that's true, but that isn't what he's saying here. What he's saying here, he doesn't just reign over me. He reigns from me, and I'm an avenue for his authority in my society. That's important in the, in the passage. He doesn't just reign over me. If he just reigns over me, then well, i got to discipline myself and shape up and get my act together. And aren't, isn't there discipline in Christianity, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah In fact, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit But folks, it isn't self-controlling It's a fruit of the Spirit It's self-being controlled oh, Can you imagine your life being disciplined by Jesus? Oh, all the stuff you've not been able to get under control Whoa. And your life would become a demonstration a flow of the authority and the power of god that would amaze your world oh, that's awesome see if he just lord over me then oh i gotta behave myself he'll smash me i don't want to go to hell all of that stuff but wait a minute he isn't just reigning over me he's reigning from me so i'm going to march into my world and conquer and push back and dominate and he is going to flow through me to conquer the sinful realm of my world that's the passage does that sound like you preacher i thought you were going to get practical okay let's get real practical what's the result of that if jesus is coming to sit on me and i'm his throne in my world and he's going to reign through me and he's going to exert his authority and power through me what's going to be the result of that in the passage it's impossible things begin to happen there was 120 disciples who began to speak in 15 different languages they didn't know. How'd they do that? Jesus is sitting on them. Now, this is dangerous to talk about because the minute we bring up the subject, if Jesus sits on your life, impossible. expect impossible stuff to take place. The minute we say that, oh, you think I ought to do miracles. See, we think of impossible stuff as miracles. Walking on the water, raising the dead, blinded eyes. Have you ever done one? Have you walked on the water lately? We'll come and watch. Would you get off of that? There are all kinds of impossible stuff that can take place in your life that don't have to do with with, with, with miracles, the spectacular, the, the television stuff. Let me give you an example. uh. Love. I'm supposed to love everybody. Have you tried that lately? In fact, you taught me that. You gotta love me if you wanna go to heaven, which wasn't true. I can love you and go straight to hell. But anyhow, that's what you taught me. Gotta love me if you wanna go to heaven, so I gotta love everybody. I can't love everybody. Gotta love everybody. Well, love me. I'm trying. I get my teeth, I'm gonna love them. So we've developed what I call a grit-your-teeth love. Now, the interesting thing about gritting your teeth is it's an automatic grin. (laughs) So here we are down at the church. See, I can tolerate you, but I can't love you. See, on Sunday morning, I can tolerate you if you sit over there. But love you... So I got this, grit your teeth. You're sitting in my pew. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't, I, I don't need that. I don't need that, folks. I get that every day of my life downtown. My wife and I go grocery shopping. We got two carts by a lie. We come up to the cashier at Walmart. She looks at us and says, Welcome to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> I, drop dead I, don't, I see what i'm looking for is somebody who can't help themselves they got something inside of them that just won't i mean it's just burning and boiling in their bones man they just can't leave me alone i mean they're all over me oh sit with me oh come home for dinner with me i'm to i'll put some water in the soup oh we're gonna oh get just you this all nobody told you to you just it's just wonder what having something like that inside of you would do to your son-in-law. <laughs> do you think it's possible, folks, for Jesus to actually come? Sit in me and cause me to love. That's impossible, no Would that take my life And kick it to a whole new I can't, I know But he could, he Why I can't help the way I feel I know, I know They, you don't know what they did to me I know, I know They hurt my, I know They ought to be hated I know I've been hurt, I know But Jesus, sit on me do something impossible. Let me give you another illustration. Uh, living above <laughs> sin. <laughs> That's an interesting concept. Really an interesting concept. If you go to any... Group of teens in the country. I've done this hundreds of times. Any group of teens in the country, look them right in the eye and say, can you live without sin? No. You think we're perfect? No, we know you're not perfect. Look at your face. So we know you're not perfect. This is not about being perfect. We understand. Well, you can't live without sinning. I mean, everybody sins. Wow. Oh, it's true we're not perfect. Can't live above sin. I agree. Have you tried? Yeah. Have you made it? No. I'm a failure. Do you think it would be possible? Think about this. For Jesus to come and sit in me and do something impossible through me like... Live above sin? <laughs> well, you can't. I know. I've tried. I have to. Nobody. I know. Could that be the reason for the new covenant? that he would come and be inside of me and sit on me, and his authority and his power would take me to... I could begin to live like I can't live, be what I can't be, act like I can't act, love like I can't love, know what I can't know. Is that possible? Is that possible? Several years ago, I went to a doctor to do this physical thing, you know, get get a physical... And uh, he came uh, after all, all the stuff was back. and He came and says, uh, uh, everything's good. I said, oh, thank you. He said, I got one recommendation. I said, fine. He said, I think you ought to gain 10 pounds. I said, what? I've been working like a dog to keep 10 pounds off. And <laughs> now you're telling me to gain 10 pounds? He said, yeah, you ought you to gain 10 pounds. I said, Doc, why do you think that? Well, he said, I've got this chart, and uh, what we've done is we've gone all over the United States, and we've got the uh, average weight of a guy your height and your age, and this is, according to the average, what you should weigh. I said, Doc, you're an intelligent person. I can tell by your writing. You're an intelligent person. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. THROW THE CHART AWAY. NO, HE SAID, THIS IS... YOU SHOULD... NO, DOC, NOT GOING TO. NOT GOING TO GAIN 10 POUNDS. THAT'S STUPID. THAT'S THE MOST RIDICULOUS THING I'VE EVER HEARD OF. I SAID, WHERE'D YOU... THAT CHART... YOU you MEAN TO TELL ME, DOC, IF YOU WENT AROUND THE COUNTRYSIDE AND EVERYBODY MY AGE AND MY HEIGHT, WHO WAS A MALE, WEIGHED 5,000 POUNDS, I SHOULD WEIGH 5,000 POUNDS? THAT'S RIDICULOUS. I was explaining this to a, to a friend of mine who's in manufacturing, and he said in business, think about this, in business, we call that dumbing down. <laughs> I said, dumbing down, never heard of that. He said, well, in manufacturing, we have we're, we're making this product, and we, this is our quality. We want it to be this quality. Everything we produce, we want it to be this quality, but we never make that quality. So, you know what we do? (laughs) Dumb down. Yay! We made our quality! (laughs) You don't suppose we've done that in the church? This is a Christian! But nobody makes that. Yay! We got some! bother you that the divorce rate is higher in the church than it is outside the church does it bother you that the teenager percentage of teenager who have premarital sex is the same outside the church as it is inside the church my next door neighbor he gets all upset yells screams and cusses i get all upset i yell scream and have we now folks you look like i'm scolding you i'm not this is not a finger in your face come on You know what this is? Oh, folks, do you know what we got ourselves into? Do you know what Pentecost is all about? Do you understand that an outside God has actually come to be inside? And we're not on our own! We can actually be empowered by God! And you can be the person you ought to be. You can be the dad you ought to be. You can be the mom you ought to be. You can live like you ought to live. You can love everybody. You can live above sin. You can overcome. You can have victory. You don't have to be into pornography. You can. Your thought process can be pure. Yay! (laughs) He has come, and he's sitting. Jesus, I got to have this. I don't, want, I don't want just another belief system. I'm not interested in just some more rules to try to keep. I'm not interested in just some doctrine. I'm not interested in just some theology. Would you, the real person, the real person of Jesus, would you, oh, spirit of Jesus, would you come and literally crawl through the pores of my skin and get inside my body, and would you sit on me? And could my life become the platform for the demonstration of your person in power? I see it, God. I see it in my family. I see it. I tell my kids, but then I don't do what I tell them myself, so... I'm going to get on my knees, Jesus, today, right now. I'm I'm coming to the altar, Lord. I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm confessing to you I've dumbed down. I said, well, it's just the pressure I'm under. it's It's my marriage. It's my... Well, it was this job. It's this job. Well, God, I've done all kind. Oh, could you sit on me? Could you sit on me? Heads are bound. If you're, uh, you're just sitting here together, if you're quite content, if you're exactly as you want to be, if you're without struggle, If you rationalize to the point that you feel the way you are is okay, you just sit right there. But if you would join me this morning in saying, I've lived beneath my privilege. I've dumbed down. God wants to do more in me than what I've permitted. I want to kneel, and if you can't kneel, you can stand. If you can't stand, the front seats are available. But would you seek him with me today? That he might sit on us. Sit on. on. And we, me, you, could become the demonstration of his person. (laughs) Our altars open. Would you join me in seeking him? Be obedient.